All right, welcome back to Ghost Stories, a Destiny podcast. This is our fourth episode, and uh, this week we're going to be discussing the Books of Sorrow uh, with the uh, hard mode uh, Taken King raid <coughs> coming out. We thought it was appropriate, and uh, this week we've got myself, X-Ray441, Beta Chieftain. What's up? Drop Slash. Hello. Scooby Deezy. How's it going? And Handsome Dragon. What's up, guys? So, uh, man, it's been it's been fun. I got I played a little bit of the hard mode raid, and uh, and the whole time thought about thought about the the books of sorrow and and where these where these guys all came from. So we're gonna get into that. But first, were you sightseeing X Ray? Just um a little a little looking at the site. A little bit. I got yelled. I got yelled at a few times for that, <laughs> especially because everyone was in such a hurry to to try to get through get through uh, some of the the new stuff and figure out what was different. But uh, you work on the world's first. Oh <laughs> uh, no, no. By the time we by the, <laughs> we we made it uh, to the to the ships, and I think I saw Beta post it that the world's first was announced. And I'm like, yeah, we weren't anywhere, we weren't anywhere near that. So <laughs> it was fun though. It's great. I, I made it to the. Uh, to the war priest and, and that's as far as I made it, but I didn't have a lot of time to play. So I'm looking forward nice. to getting back into it. Um, we've gotten a lot of feedback and, and we are listening to everyone's feedback and we're trying to get back to everyone. And uh, one thing that we've seen come up multiple times on Twitter and, uh, and via our email is uh, people want to know more about the, the classes, the subclasses and, and kind of the lore behind those. So, so kind of look for that coming up soon. I think we're going to try to tackle that a little sooner than we expected, but uh, but that might be something we're focusing on. So if you have any questions related to that you want to want to kick to us mm-hmm. that we can work into the show, definitely let us know. Yeah, uh, you can full episode uh, explaining why Warlocks are the best. I love it. <laughs> you know, I was just going to say, with yeah. this group, it's going to be a whole podcast about why the Hunters are the best. <laughs> yep, yep, there you go. Sorry, me um, and Gabble, we'll jump in there. <laughs> yeah, Gabble, Gabble won't miss that show. Gabble's not here today, so we are missing missing him. But uh, but he had a, a previous engagement. So um, let's is get Gabble, in. We'll go is Gabble main Titan? Or are we going to have to invite one to the show? Hey, beta mains Titan. Okay, yeah, Beta's the Titan. I'm still here. So <laughs> I think I, I think Gabble's warlock, right? Isn't I that? believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got a we've got a decent mix. We got a Titan, two warlocks, and three hunters. Scooby, you're a hunter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds, it's a good, uh, it sounds it's a good like, the, like the Ariana Fire team. Yeah, it's yeah. a good raid team. <laughs> oh. We, swa- we oh. swapped a hunter. We that's, swapped. That's not good. We swapped hunter there. and warlock, but <laughs> I'll I'll rep I'll rep warlock. I'll rep Toland. Oh, oh, oh that's dark. <laughs> um, I, was, right. I was following him around all night last night. So. <laughs> so, so with with some of this feedback we've been getting, and we've gotten a lot. I'm I'm, I'm surprised. Um, but uh, but one of the questions that came from the feedback that we're going to talk about now came from Zabby Zab on PS4, and uh, they asked uh, or they said, "Listen to your first podcast, and I totally loved it. I play the game uh, with my significant other on our off time, and it's fantastic." I had one question: Does the lore ever mention anything about any survivors who are not super talented in fighting and who aren't politicians? Um, Basically, I want to know if any average Joes or Janes survived, and if so, what are their roles? Where do they live? Are they helping with rebuilding of humanity? Uh, what, what's, what do you think, uh, Scooby? I mean, we, we look over that last city every day from the tower. They're, they're all down there. I, I, I don't know what they're walking their dogs, maybe. I don't know if there's <laughs> many dogs left in the, in the city, but 
We we uh, know they're watching Crucible. They uh, <laughs> yeah. we know that they like to make banners and marks and things for their favorite Crucible champions. Are you not sometimes, entertained? Sometimes they like to bet on Crucible matches. That's in the Grimoire, actually. Oh yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Nice. Is yeah, that the so only place though good. that they they are? No, you you can see him wandering around the tower. Ah, uh, you just just take a. Sh- uh, a slow stroll around the tower and you will hear hilarious flavor text coming out of all the sort of just random folks who are wandering around up there. Yeah, so there's some so, people down underneath the future Warhold that are uh, by the jukebox doing some dance moves too. So. <laughs> so, so aside from the city and the tower, aren't there, we've also got uh, some, some grimoire, the grimoire that points to um, some, some cities that, that popped up like Palamon and, uh, and I think that uh, they talk about some of them that, that existed in the wilds that the Guardians were trying to help bring to the city. And, and I, I have to make the assumption that they probably couldn't round up everyone. Uh, so there, there might still be some, some communities or some, some kind of, of colonies out there. So, so yeah, the, the, the human kind of non-fighters and, and politicians are, are hanging out there somewhere uh, still. Well, and one of my favorite little things... Uh, and Taken King regarding that is um, the new European Dead Zone map where there's fi- there's something shooting at the catch in the air from the ground yep. in the city, which infers that maybe there's a little even a human resistance mm-hmm. kind of out in the wilderness, which is kind of a cool thing That's to cool. think about. You know, well, and, and, and we we also have characters like Ava Levante and Amanda Holiday, who we know came to the tower. Uh, from sort of refugee human groups and they're they are they are contributing to the rebuilding of humanity like amanda takes care of ships and sparrows and the mechanic and Eva sells us overpriced shaders and banners <laughs> <laughs> but yeah they're, i mean they're they're not fighters they're not politicians they're, they're just sort of like regular folks hanging out Perfect. well great so good good questions abby zab thanks for for giving us the feedback and letting us know what you think about the show Oh, so one thing that we didn't even put in the notes that really just made me think um, is, you know, when you mentioned the European Dead Zone scoop, we had this whole big article that just came out about the the story um, of Destiny and how it was prior to a year before <laughs> before the launch. Um, a lot changed in there, and and people are kind of in an uproar and, and saying that they uh, they. Are, they're upset they didn't get the story that that we were meant to see from from who was it Staten is that the guy and uh, that's his name right the the original yeah. writer yeah, yeah just that. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. and so you know I yeah we didn't get that story and and there's reasons for it you know they they make changes like that and 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 I'm sure there's changes that happen in a lot of games and a lot of movies and and things like that 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 uh, we're not supposed to know about. Those people at Bungie, yeah, sure, they were anonymous, and they gave us this this kind of great behind the scenes feedback of what happened. And you know what, though, we don't, we didn't need to know that. They should never have said that. They should have never released that. And it, and it just really, to me, it, it even though it sounds like the story that they had prior might have been a little better and might have might have had a, but we don't know. We don't know that for sure. And it just makes everyone wonder. And so I'm kind of, I'm kind of upset about that article. I thought it was neat to read that stuff. But at the same time, it made so many people just throw their arms up like, oh, what did we, what, why didn't we get that? 
Well, we didn't get it because that's not what we got. And so mm-hmm. we're not going to well, focus on that. Again, it's important to remember, we've just started year two of what is supposed to be a 10-year project. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, saying that we're missing something now or we didn't get something is we're still jumping the gun here a bit. And again, if these crucible arenas are any indication, you know, we've already seen like the Eastern flood zone. We've seen the European dead zone. We've seen, we've been to these locations. Uh, so there's, there, they already exist. And it's only now a matter of expanding upon those things. I mean, you're not going to get every single thing, you know, in the first year, there's got to be more stuff to explore. So, you know, whether the city opens up to us or these new areas open up to us, earth is a big planet. Mars is a big planet. There, Mm -hmm. The seeds are being sown right now to, to get us interested. So when these things, if these things do come to us, we'll say, oh, man, remember back at the beginning of year two when we were so mad that we couldn't explore the European dead zone? They just opened the entire European dead zone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so we've got, we've got more stuff that's going to happen. And, yeah. and that's a good point about, you know, 10 years. We've got a lot coming. And I think, you know, we might have mentioned this before, but uh, but, you know, John Ryan, who they picked up, back at the beginning of the year, um, who came from Guild Wars 2, is doing a lot of the, the writing, or not writing per se, but he's overseeing kind of that group, I think. Um, obviously had a big part to play in what we're experiencing now with, with the Taken King. And if, if what we've gotten now is any indication of what's going to come in the future, as long as he sticks around, man, I'm excited. I, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but but I've, I've been really happy with... I mean, look at the Books of Sorrow by themselves, you know, how much that offered... And, and all of the new little stuff that, that have been popping up. So so anyway, mm-hmm. I didn't mean to go off on a tangent there. You can reel me back in. I just, <laughs> no, I, it's all good. When, whenever I heard the European dead zone, it made me think of that. And, and I think that we would have done ourselves kind of an injustice if we didn't at least acknowledge that article that came out. So Yeah, and just to add something real quick, I think it's important to remember where you are right now. Like if looking at Taken King and what they added, like that story was great. They added a whole bunch of stuff for us. Like, I don't think anyone's going to say that Vanilla Destiny, when released, was a 10 of 10 story plot, you know, everything like that. But they're improving. They're continuing to listen to feedback from the community and, you know, get better. So, I mean, year two, year three, I, I can't wait for what they put out there. Absolutely. So I'm looking, I'm looking forward to more plot hole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we, we know, we you, know are. you are. We know you are. <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll squash them like, uh, like we did with uh, Eris's ship. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right. So, where are we going to get started? What are what are the books of sorrow? Drop. All right. Well, so I mean, the books of sorrow. This is this is this enormous edition. This is probably one of the biggest lore additions to the game since its release. Uh, I mean, you could even argue that the books of sorrow are bigger than the vanilla story themselves. Uh but yeah, the, the books of sorrow really are these, we uncover them through these calcified fragments aboard the Dreadnought and a lot of the Taken King content, and they're really a collection of verses, and they seem to be compiled directly by Oryx, uh, the Taken King, sort of the first navigator, the king of shapes. And these verses include all kinds of information about the worm gods, uh, Oryx's sisters, entries from other civilizations. They detail the history and philosophies of the Hive and their relationship with these worm gods and the deep, uh, the darkness itself. And it's kind of amazing. It's this enormous collection of insights for 
how the hive hierarchy their entire civilization where it came from and how it functions uh so it was really a, a huge a huge look into you know this enemy that we have faced this and have always had questions about and this seems to answer a lot of those questions uh, i think we'll go into a little bit of detail about the accuracy of the books and probably whether or not they're can be trusted reliably uh and hey let's point out a fun sort of plot hole right now uh, uh well not, not necessarily a plot hole <laughs> well okay not necessarily a plot hole let's hear so, it let's hear it so uh our first encounter with the books of sorrow uh doesn't actually come uh from these calcified fragments not oryx not even from toland uh i'm sure people are familiar we've talked about it in the past the hand cannon thorn Ooh. uh the flavor text on Thorn quotes one of the books of sorrow, uh, but it is a book that we have as of unyet not as of yet not undiscovered. We we don't know. Uh, according to it, it's the this thing called the Thirteenth Understanding from the Seventh Book of Sorrow, and at the moment we only have five books of sorrow, so there could be more. Uh, we don't know. So, but it also creates this interesting piece of lore where Dregden Yor, who created Thorn. Man, there's a chance that he had stumbled across, you know, an as of yet unknown book here. So now the thorn is one of those. What was the category of weapon? Is that a the weapon? Weapons, of, uh, weapons of sorrow. Weapons of sorrow. Well, there you go. And uh, there's a couple other ones too. What bad juju is that one? Uh, yeah, bad juju was Tolan's attempt to create a weapon of sorrow. And I think the only other explicitly defined weapon of sorrow is necrochasm. Right. Right. All right, and you know what? Just to, again to throw it out there, we did read uh, some feedback that that actually asked about some some dredging your uh, thorn last word uh, grimoire and and lore. So we'll get into that eventually. So just uh, just just wait for it. It'll happen. <laughs> it may, this this one this one little tiny piece here, knowing how important the books of sorrow are and how we're going to get into that. This casts a little bit of a new light on dredging your like he he stumbled across something. That was incredibly powerful and in, like in, like linked to the hive at the deepest possible levels. So there there could be more to your than than we were thinking. Oh yeah. All right. So let's get in. Let's get into the book a little bit. Books. Books. Book. Um, <laughs> what, what? So so it gives us kind of the the origin. I don't want to say the origin story because it, it in the, in Destiny it's kind of the origin story of the hive. Um, but they were on this kind of of planet moon rock they were on something that was that was kind of just hurtling through space and it crashed or split and crashed into this planet that was known as the the fundament and it's like a gaseous planet um kind of like like jupiter uh and when it broke it created what they what they refer to in the book as continents um and on these continents uh they had they were all the same I'm trying to think of how how to put this they were all the same race uh same species same species but different races so to speak so so yeah, kind of like they broke into to tribes on these different right. continents yeah yeah and we've got and and of those continents we've got the osmium court the uh, helium court the bone plaza and the star surgery and i think there were other ones too uh they don't mention um all of them uh but it does at one point say that there were when they were talking about navigating through this ocean um, of billions. sorts, 
billions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. The, the Fundament is a very big place, and, the, well, and, and, the, and they're the and smallest the, thing in it. So. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot, there's, you know, trillions of life forms made up by who knows how many different, actually there's there's a number somewhere, I forget where in the book of, Books of Sorrow that says exactly how many different species, you know, the individual species exist on the planet. You know, it's in the hundreds that makes up these trillions of, of life forms, so life now but but not but but not all of these not all of these trillions of species necessarily came from the same you know hurtling rock that that crashed that the hive were on right i mean it could definitely be comprised of of multiple uh crash landings right right that's correct so some of these other continents would would have different species and and or obviously do we we kind of find out a little bit about them um and and so they uh there there were these things that, that they kind of feared, um, these big clouds that would kind of come overhead called storm joys. And, uh, and they were, they were just these weird kind of, of cloud, maybe creatures. We don't know for sure, but they did have the, these bait stars, these things that would lower down to the ground and kind of attract the hive to them. And, uh, and they, and they could basically pull them up with those or grab them or kill them with those stars and right and it, it always makes me makes me think of angler fish yeah yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. there's references even to i'm mean, being a giant gas planet it, it talks about the seas that the continents move around on but you know it the seas could have been you know gaseous seas that were kind of sure. down down in the planet so it's possible it was very dark you know not 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 like Bespin, yeah. where everything's yeah, nice and I shiny. The, the implication is it's it's a gas giant, and then it has a core, and the core has this vast ocean around it. So they would have been deep within the gas giant on right. these on this ocean. Right. So it's possible those bait stars might have been the only light you know that they see from time to time. Sure. And we also know and that's why they're so tempting. And we also know later on that the the hive sort of thrive in the darkness. Uh, they're sort of biologically adapted to exist like deep. Like deep within moons and things like that, as we learn about from our moon. So that that, yeah, could, very well, that could very well be true. That right, they, right. they exist in a sort of darkened state. So one of the one of the quotes about the storm joy, which I thought was kind of neat, because you know if you think back in to to this book being written by or narrated by Oryx, it says a storm joy is a good way for an old person to choose death. Also, a daring knight can cut the bait stars from the tentacles. I have six. So right there, Oryx is saying, you know what? I'm a badass already. You know, I, I've got six of these stars that prove that I'm a, well, I'm hold a daring on. knight, right? right? Cor- is that right or no? Correction. No? Okay. Well, yeah, correction. So this, this is all coming from verse 1-1, which is Predators. Uh, and verse 1-1 is actually written by Gyro, which is the third sister. Uh, right. okay. So she's the one who has six, not orcs. Got yeah, it. Right. And, and this is and this is a good thing to clarify for those who are reading the books. Um, most of this comes from Oryx, but every once in a while we do have verses from the other sisters or other people. So it's always good to pay attention because every once in a while it'll change. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Another another uh, blame X-ray type of day. Blame X-ray. <laughs> Man, I'm having the worst week. I swear. All right. So, so Oryx is not a badass, I guess. Um, well, he is. <laughs> that's, but that's that's the takeaway from today. <laughs> so, all right. So back to back to to the the kind of 
some of the book here. Um, so the hive, we know too, are known as the krill people, and, and they don't have a very long lifespan either. Um, I think it's ten years is what they they yep. say, and uh, they they kind of have these three different forms that they they take on or, or, or kind of I want to say cho- well, I guess kind of chosen for or choose um, in their lifespan. Uh, they've got this this kind of king morph, the the knight or warrior kind of morph, and then a mother. And the mothers um, gave birth to to new spawn and uh, have have a lot longer lifespans than a normal hive. Um, and uh, and so that's uh, that's kind of where we right. And so yeah, the, the mother role is it's it's an important role and. Some people might, some hive might be drawn to it because they can live so long. You know, those hive who want to, you know, explore beyond their ten-year lifespans. Um, and then we're we're like we just said, uh, Shiro, she wants to be a knight, um, and she's clearly cunning because she, or not cunning but brave, because she cut off those bait stars. And then we're introduced um, shortly after this to the the Osmian king. And so we have Shiro, who we've who was narrating predators. We have Oryx, or as she was known back then, Orosh. Is that right? Yeah, Orosh. Correct me if you guys think I'm pronouncing these wrong. But <laughs> and then we have Sathona, who was the middle sister, and she wanted to be a mother. And so all three of these sisters are daughters of the Osmium King. And and this is the Osmium continent is where the story kind of begins. Also, let's say that uh these are not the only sisters. Uh in verse one one, uh Giro mentions that ten of her sisters were eaten by uh in tribute by one of the helium drinkers. So there were there were much more than just three sisters at the start here, but it seems like these are the three uh, that lived. It's also, I just wanted to mention real quick, that word krill comes up, uh, but I feel like it gives a false impression of of sort of the taxonomy of the proto-hive people, because they sort of seem much more insect-like than they do krill-like. Uh, and I believe the word krill here, this is just me personally, is used to represent them uh, more as they're the bottom of the food chain. And this comes up in the Books of Sorrows a lot, and it's a philosophy called the Timid Truth, uh, where these the philosophy of these folks, these proto-hive, they believe that they are the weakest thing on this planet, that they were, they were born only to sort of struggle and die and be the very, very bottom. <laughs> Everything to them is a predator. So they're they're not living a particularly wonderful lifestyle here, <laughs> like they're they're f- f- well aware of the fact that they are the bottom of the food chain, and that's where I believe that that krill reference comes from. Yeah, that's a good point because right. whenever I'd read that or like and hear that quote where they say that they're, they're the smallest and bottom of the food chain, like it's hard for me to picture in my mind, you know what we know of Oryx now, this huge <laughs> giant. It's like, um, he was really this bottom of the food chain? That's kind of hard to imagine. <laughs> so that's a good analogy. I think. Well, they yeah, say... The first, th- go ahead. I was going to say, the first time I read the Books of Sorrow, I, I had the weirdest visual of what I was. these people looked like. I was 
you know, picturing them as like microscopic in some mm-hmm. weird ocean. <laughs> and I was, you know, I was just like, what in the world am I reading? And then I kind of understood like, oh, oh, it's just, okay, I get it. They're just bottom of the food chain. It's just a metaphor. Well, but they do, they time. do mention, you know, I think, uh, I think it's called, uh, what's it? Falling is also in that first book and, or the, the first verse. And, you know, it says if you fall off of a continent, um, there are these huge creatures, the Levi- Leviathans below that, that, basically you, you die you know they, they take care of you so saying how big then these things i think they said were bigger than the continents themselves so uh you know in, in my mind i kind of thought the same thing to some degree oh it was just a metaphor but then when they start talking about how big some of the other stuff is you know it's all kind of the whole theory of relativity thing where totally. you know to us you know they're huge but compared to a leviathan yeah they may be a krill compared to you know a, a uh, you know, a humpback whale or, or whatever. So totally. But yeah, it's, I guess again, one of those things in the lore, you know, we kind of mentioned this back in episode one, everyone's interpretation is going to be a little bit different. So trying to, trying to really <laughs> come to a, come to a general consensus on some of this stuff without Bungie actually saying, here's what we meant is, yeah. is what we're doing here, you know? So, all right. It's interesting. It's interesting here because we also get our first glimpses, like even in this first verse, uh, like we're talking about the mother morph uh, in Predators, Jairo mentions, you know, mothers can fly and they live longer than 10 years and they're very smart and they guard their spawn uh, immediately in your mind. Think, what is the only hive that can fly? Right, yeah, uh, wizards. Yeah. And we know wizards are our female hive and they're responsible for the spawn. We learned that sort of from Omnigool, mm-hmm. who was responsible for all of Crota's spawn. So I start to wonder if the hive as we know them, they may not be that different physically yeah. from the proto-hive. Like, they may not have changed all Too that much. much. And it talks about the knights and you know, growing up to be a knight and being a warrior. Yeah, so. yeah there's a lot that's the same. All right, so let's, uh, let's kind of keep trudging through this kind of kind of beginning piece here. Um, so where are we at? We, we're still talking, talking predators and we, uh, we know we have three, the, the Osmium Kim, Osmium Kings, three daughters, uh, Arash, San, San, Sathona and Zyro. Um, and it talks about them a little more in depth. It says that, uh, Arash, um, has been away at the tungsten monoliths for two years and she's studying mysteries of the fundament. So I thought that was kind of neat to me that, that, you know, you think about that that race uh, or that species, the the hive, and when this planet or, or their their rock that they were on crashed, it must have somehow preserved some of their history, you know, because because she's able to go to these monoliths. I don't know that that um, you know if she's studying there and 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 trying to learn stuff. And I think later on it mentions there's a few other. Uh, what were the other? Uh, places that they mentioned they were kind of like i'm trying to look this up now i thought i had this ah. well i'm gonna i'll go real Killing quick me. yeah go uh, ahead. Real, well real quick i'll go into it's interesting that they mentioned so now we have the osmium court and we have the tungsten monoliths uh and these are these are two metals that we know that have very unique properties with osmium being the densest element uh, known to humans, and with tungsten being uh, a natural occurring metal that has the highest melting point, 
of any metal. So it seems like these these metals uh, play a very specific role, whether they were natural to the continents that were occurring on <clears throat> Fundament or natural to Fundament themselves. It seems like they had a very sort of like interesting influence uh, on the species that surrounded them and we know even now much much later in the game the hive still collect osmium they they still sort of mine it wherever they can and collect it and build monoliths out of it uh and a couple of the missions that were given to us in the taken king we're able to scan these things and confirm that that is actually true so so those those metals are could be important, and so who knows why uh, our ashes out there studying the tungsten monoliths? Maybe they're going to convert to the tungsten court. <laughs> the tungsten <Yeah>. court. <laughs> yeah. Well, so while so while she was away, um, that's when when Tao Tao. Yeah, I always say Tao Taox Taox. Yeah, but I, I guess I'm missing the X. Um, <laughs> the the. The hive mother at the time kind of was plotting to uh, to, to kill the Osmium king, um, and she kind of worries that he's kind of going crazy because he spends in this right he spends all of his time kind of studying these moons because he's so worried about this uh, this this right. Is that so, right? Yeah. yeah. So we we learn that, and Scooby's going to talk about this a little bit more later. But we learn that the Osmium King is in possession of a dead worm that washed up from the deep. And it seems that this dead worm has possibly been speaking to him. And ever since he acquired it, he's been um, basically in his observatory. He's been finding ancient texts. And, And also the fact that he's finding ancient texts is kind of an indication of how long they have been there. There's Mm -hmm. quite the, there's quite the history already. Um, but yeah, he he's grown very concerned with the moons and things that are happening in the heavens above them, and Tao basically thinks that yeah he's gone mad. <laughs> she and, sees him yeah. talking to this dead worm and is like, oh boy, right? <laughs> and and she and it's not just that, but she also <laughs> doesn't think that any of the daughters are capable of ruling the hive. Mm-hmm. She thinks that Orosh is too curious and will just get distracted. Um, she thinks that. Gyro can fight but not lead. Right. Uh, and Sathona can think but not fight. Right. Yeah, so, so she so she conspires or she kind of, of makes yeah. plans with the with the helium drinkers there from the from the, the uh Conspires is definitely the right word. Is that right? It's okay. A, it's yeah. a it's a full on like she you know, develops this plan and they, they go on and they take over, you know, it's a, it's an invasion that and she plots and is like, I'll be the ruler if you go attack. <clears throat> right. Yeah, and this is, this is a straight up betrayal. This is yeah. a, this is a behind mm-hmm. this, this is like a classic royal betrayal. <laughs> right. And, and the helium drinkers, they are, and we mentioned this earlier, but they are the same species as the hive, a different tribe. But, and so this is really hive fighting hive here. And so, uh, so this is like really close to when when uh, Orash returns, right from the from the monoliths. I think. Yeah, it, it's so. I don't think we have an exact date, but it's very soon after Orash comes back 
that Tao decides to kill everybody. And which makes sense, right? Tao would be waiting for Arash to come back so that yeah, she would take care of all she, of she wouldn't yeah. yeah, wouldn't miss anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh but but the three the three sisters um kind of escape the, <clears throat> the attacks and uh and oh they're where do they go? Where do they well, go? They, from? they make it the first thing they do is they make an oath. The three of them survive. Uh this sort of coup and they make an oath to each other that they will do nothing but pursue vengeance mm-hmm. uh they will like they will reclaim the osmium court they will destroy teox like they're they are pissed off <laughs> yeah they all they all have their individual oaths uh Zyro, you know he or she you know, swears to basically kill teox and the helium drinkers who killed their father Sathana swears to, you know, raise up her spawn, become the mother, and Orash kind of swears to basically follow after their father's footsteps and figure out, you know, about this, you know, what's coming, what his madness was all about, and kind of follow his footsteps a bit. Yeah, so, and and this is, this is, again, dealing very early on with sort of like these very important (laughs) factors here where we have a kingdom with three heirs, you know, a, a traitor who doesn't believe any of the heirs are worthy, who who conspires to destroy the crown, succeeds, the three heirs live and make an oath now for vengeance. Uh, and it's, then it's very quickly, like, this is only, we're only at verse three, or verse one dash three, the oath, and it's already become very complicated and very political here. Uh, so this isn't like a very simple retelling of the origins of the hive. This is very much, and you know, if if we know these books were written by Oryx, who was once Arash, these are very personal. Like this is like the recounting of a memory of something that happened. It's not like storytelling here. Right. And I thought they did a good job in these books. Um, when I was I read them for the first time, um, I didn't know which of the sisters would end up being Oryx. Uh, I knew one of them was. And, you know, for the first, you know, two, three verses, I don't remember how many it is until he takes on the king morph, but I thought Zyro was Oryx. You know, was the you know, more powerful, the strong one. And then I thought they did a pretty good job of kind of keeping that hidden until later on. Yeah. So, and then we know that after, after this oath is made, uh, we know that Arash, who just returned from a trip, has a ship uh, on which they can navigate Fundament. So they sort of escape via this mm-hmm. this ship that she has. The needle, right? Not no, yet. yet. She Not has, yet. She has oh, a, oh. a boat that they go to, you know, just to escape the continent. Yeah, and 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 shortly after their escape, um, yes, and and you'll see in the books of sorrow that Orash. Is referred to sometimes as the first navigator or the navigator and things like that and that's because she was the curious one who was exploring who had this boat you know and was out and about and um and part of it and as they're kind of out you know wandering through the fundament after they've been driven from their kingdom the uh the king's obsession there's two interesting things that's, that happen um one the king's worm we learn later, actually went to Sathona. She came into possession of the worm that the king had. 
but the king's obsession with the moons that kind of passed on to Orosh. And that obsession eventually became a word, and it helped me. Sizgi. Sizgi. We're all trying to. We all sound like idiots. Great. And so, and so that word, um, it wraps wraps up <laughs> this whole this whole obsession, and it's basically it turns into they're afraid that all the moons of the fundament are going to line up, and then when they're all aligned, there's going to be this overwhelming gravitational pull on the oceans of the fundament, and it's going to create this massive god wave. That's basically going to wash over the planet and just wipe out the entire hive species, and and annihilate every species. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so that is what the king's fear was, and what Arash's fear becomes as they're out there journeying. And this is this is an interesting sort of twist here because this represents up to this point they're dealing with this threat of like. Teox and the helium drinkers and very sort of like terrestrial threats to their lives but this represents like a <clears> cosmic <throat> threat to everything uh and mm-hmm. species yeah right so the osmium king sort of took on that responsibility of of finding out what this thing is and died before he could and now we have arash taking on that same challenge like obsession almost right so yeah so where gyro is concerned with tracking down Teox and and even uh to a point uh uh Sathona is concerned with again revenge we already see Arash moving away from revenge as a motivating thing to this this giant cosmic threat as a motivating yeah, factor his fear is his motivation almost her her sorry <laughs> sorry I, I know I know I do that all the time you'll have to correct me <laughs> So yeah, so now now we're getting now like the plot the plot is really twisted. So now we're we're dealing with sort of these threats on the ground to these three sisters and this this overwhelming like universe, you know, world destroying threat. And what's interesting is in some of these texts, uh you know, Arash recounts the timid truth and the teachings of Teox, who was their teacher originally. Uh, you know, she says, Teox would have us believe that our ancestors came to the fundament to hide from the hungry void. And we don't, the hungry void to me sounds like the darkness. Uh, yeah, there's definitely that sort of implication when, when those lines are said. Yeah. So, and there's another interesting quote, I think it's the very, very beginning, uh, in Predators, uh, when Gyro, you guys had mentioned falling, Gyro says, you know, uh, if you fall off the edge of the continent, you'll die in the ocean. This is a special hazard when our father, the Osmium King, uses the engines. And that line, uses the engines, is interesting to me because it makes me wonder if they're capable of sort of moving their continent through the Sea of Fundament. It, it definitely has... It makes me think so, and you know, and you think about what sort of abilities and tech and you know whatever they would have had to even survive the crash into Fundament and to adapt to its environment. You know, like there's a yeah. lot of different 
stuff that they would have had to really quickly be able to adapt to as their you know original planet starts crumbling and becomes these continents and, you know it's there's a you know having these giant engines uh, on these continents definitely is is within the, the scope of yeah. something that they would have needed to eat to, to navigate through the storms and the, the ocean and you know there's there's a lot going on and we well, know later on that the sisters use moons as a means of transportation mm-hmm. so there's a possibility that 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 ability that technology or whatever it is to sort of harness a planetoid and use it as a ship you know maybe that ship maybe whatever that was maybe they were running from the darkness before they crashed into the fundament it's it's not explicitly stated but there's a hint at it here that you know maybe 10 years ago uh or how, even longer than that the osmium king said oh my the darkness is encroaching on us let's fire up the engines and get our sort of moonship out of here and then they accidentally smashed into fundament and and shattered that world hmm. that's a good thought and 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 with that thought, you know, it it kind of gives you ideas of why the hive might be burrowing into our own moon. In you know, just they've used this. <laughs> they're just ship. they're just gonna fly away with it one day. <laughs> <laughs> or, or or maybe maybe their plan was to turn the moon into a ship and then crash it into Earth to just wipe out everything. Oh, that's yeah. You know, mm. I don't know. But yeah, so now we have now we have the sisters sort of on the run here, and and Arash is already starting to to look skyward like her father did, while the other two are focused on. Right. While this. while Arash looks skyward, we have Sathona, who keeps looking deeper and deeper into the planet. Yes. It's it seems that the worm is giving her instructions or at least ideas that are driving her and her sisters to dive deeper and deeper into the planet instead of moving skyward. Yes. Yeah, this is an interesting, and there's some oh, interesting lines here too, uh, where it should, she will go off to be alone and then return with some mad idea. Uh, and there's this great line at the end, somehow Sathona seems to manufacture good luck by sheer will. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that will be important much later on in this story. <laughs> So yeah, so now we have, you know, Arash looking skyward, Sathona looking inward, and I, I can only imagine Gyro just, like, sitting angrily in a chair, sharpening a sword. <laughs> Peering over the horizon, looking yeah. for someone to kill. So so now um, Sathona's kind of, of, I don't know, obsession with the worm now, or, you know, does it is it kind of driving her more towards... Uh, the king as far as his current kind of paranoia or or just curiosity about this worm or is the worm making her crazy or i mean what's what's going on there let us speak of these worms well <laughs> let's hear about these worms then what what <laughs> well, so, so go ahead it's interesting for sathona because again she's the the clever one uh the sort of like they survive by her wit uh, and her cleverness. But again, this paints her as an unreliable narrator. Uh, you know, once we, if we're looking at verse 1 5 here, uh, or needle and worm, we're about to get into this. Uh, there's a line that says, you know, the needle ship carved in my code by Sathona 
a liar. So we got to be careful about trusting all the words that were given here. Uh, because Sathona could well, and, be... and even later in the Book of Sorrows, when Oryx is speaking, Sathona kind of writes in the margins. You can kind of you can kind of picture in the margins of the text, like everything you're reading is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> like, but is it, head. or does she just want us to think that it is? She's no. the clever one. Very interesting. <laughs> so let's hear about let's yeah, hear so about you, these so worms. You mentioned, yeah, so you mentioned the needle ship, which which is a a huge key to the puzzle of of these worms um and and where they come from and what they are so in the the next few cards uh, uh I, in my notes I, I kind of uh recorded uh, not by verses but by cards so five <laughs> six and seven uh, of the books of sorrow here talk about this thing called the needle ship and uh when they're describing this and Sathona seems to know everything about it. It's just kind of like, she just knows. And I, I'm, I'm guessing that that's because the worm is, is telling her you know, everything she needs to know. Mm -hmm. But uh, so there's this ship that has been caught in a storm on the surface of this ocean um, since before the krill came to fundament. I mean, this thing has been just spinning around in a storm for what we come to find out is likely millions of years this thing is, has been here and so when they first arrive on the on fundament there's this kind of legendary ship out in the storm that they that they record in their ancient texts and um so they go out when they're escaping um their continent when they're out here in the ocean they go they find then this needle ship and it is specifically designed um, to sort of pierce through the layers of the core and navigate all the way down to like the center or at least very deep into the core of fundament. Um, and its purpose we, we, we learn is to birth this atrocity. Um, and there's this crew that the ship has and, and they're all there to facilitate uh, this birth that this some creature that they make uh, a chrysalis uh, for in the the deep of the core and it, it's birthed and when this happens it kills the entire crew so there's this like very dark sort of creature that that this um, ship was designed to deliver straight to the core of fundament and you've got to imagine the the tech necessary to to go to that kind of pressure and you know to do what it it did it's this ancient highly advanced ship um, that they find and so they they go and capture this ship, they get into it, they turn it back on, and they start like learning how to use it. And they spend, I think, like two years uh, just learning how to use this ship and navigating it. And finally, um, they decide, you know what, we can either stay out here and die with our stupid 10-year lifespan, or we can, we can dive into the core and figure out what's going on. We can try and, and save our species. We can... You know, they're kind of they come to this moment of desperation. Um, yes, and we know that Gyro wants to sell the ship to raise an army. Yeah, they um, were they were sort of divided on what they wanted to do with it. But at this point, now we have we have <clears throat> Sithona who is sort of manifesting this uh, sort of cleverness uh, and this deception, uh, and this is like the this is where we start seeing the real influence of this worm. Uh, so, you know, Arash wants to take the ship and see if they can control it, and Gyro wants to sell it. So the sort of decision now comes down to Sathona, and Sathona lies to Gyro. 
uh, and says, no, the ship's worthless. Let's, let's get in it and, and let's use it to explore. And then she says, no, she knows that because she asked the worm. And to be, this is where, you know, if you're verse, this is verse one, five, needle and worm still, the very last sentence of this entry is enormous in terms of the lore that we already know. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and that is, it is dead but it still speaks to me, and it says, listen closely, O oh, vengeance mine. <laughs> so, so, hang on, I want to I do a quick reality check, though, just so everyone, everyone still realizes we're talking about the hive, right? We're talking about these, and, if, and again, if you haven't read the books, um, or, you know, the hive are just these, you know... I, they're the flood, you know, that's what everyone always referred to him as, but they're so much deeper and you learn so mm-hmm. much from, from this. So I just want to make sure, you know, think about the hive that you face and what you think about them. You're like, Oh, they just run at you and try to try to hit you or shoot you or stab you or, or whatever. Well, no, there's a lot more to them, obviously. Yep. So, so, so yeah. So at this point they dive, they take this needle ship and they, they go as far as they can, uh, through the core of fundament layer after layer and, um, they 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 come across this um, this being called the Leviathan there, which we mentioned earlier, who's this cr- sort of creature of legend that that lives in the deep um, of the planet, and and we'll come back to him. I, I'm not going to talk about him yet, but um, they they eventually get to uh, this space where they find the five great worms, who uh, eventually become the the ultimate gods of the hive um and that's where this 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 worm that sathona has has been leading them the entire time um and they they get to this area and it's the there's these these ginormous uh worms who um uh, who just who've been uh, they say trapped slash growing in the deep for millions of years and um and this is a point where you, when I come back to the, the needle ship, there's, you know, the, there's nothing else in the deep that we know of that we can consider an atrocity, you know, to, to the point where we're, we're sure about saying, you know, there's this Leviathan. Um, he, we think he's a good guy. Uh, and then there's the, these worms who are the only things in the deep and, um, Later on in the in the Book of Sorrows, we kind of come to find out that the Leviathan is sort of the, the guard. He's almost the prison warden of these five worms who are down here, and and so he seems to be a good guy. But there's these these five things here, and um, my my theory on this, and so I'm going to explicitly state this is not from the book though, is that um, whatever that atrocity was, whatever was birthed from the chrysalis down there. Uh, it spawned these five great worms. These are the sort of the the, the children of this original matriarch um, that are that are alive down here. And and one of the things that the five great worms say to the the sisters when they get down there is they like, look at my vast coiling length. Look at the hiving cities symbiotic with my flesh. And so there's this sense that um, the their their own spawn kind of have this symbiosis with them. And so there's, there's an implication that they could have done the same thing with whatever their, their parent, their, their mother is. And so, um, so the worms there, they're found by the sisters. Um, and they, they do something really interesting, which is 
um, they make these promises to the sisters. They say, okay, we know you guys don't want to die. We know you want to save your species. We'll give you immortality um, if you will take our children, our spawn, as symbiotes and follow your natures. And it's this really weird promise, but they're like, oh, I mean, yeah, okay, okay, cool, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. You know, it's like, who wouldn't, right? Right. And well, it's also, I mean, at this point, it we should mention that you know, the Leviathan tried really, really hard to convince them not to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that exchange uh, with the Leviathan and the sisters. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I. That's why. Oh I my actually, god! Uh, did something just crash? <laughs> oh, that might have been me moving the couch. <laughs> no, I, I think that was my my little hive spawn somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's actually that's one of my favorite um, pieces of the the books of sorrow is the exchange between uh, the Leviathan and the the sisters and the the arguments that are made back and forth. Um, they're just so philosophically deep and they parallel. Um, really well, uh, like with um, like the thing that I think is closest to it would be um, Satan's argument to Adam and Eve in the Garden mm-hmm. of Eden. Like, there's this very um, like uh, you know the the worm tries to right you, you position won't, itself. You as, sure you won't surely die. You'll, yeah, you know. totally. There's this like very oh yeah, who are we going to listen to, the Leviathan or the plain honest worm? Mm-hmm. You know, there's this very sort of biblical argument between light and dark going on yeah and the leviathan makes some amazing like you know the leviathan really does say that uh and the leviathan is one who uses the phrase krill people uh but that they were they were the leviathan's treasure they were the proof against despair that even when you are the weakest thing uh in existence that you still struggle and fight and claim life and move forward, which is very much aspects of the light. And that was one of the Leviathan's great hopes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the Leviathan was very concerned that when there's nothing left, you know, when, when the struggle to exist becomes so great that everything, everything turns to the deep to survive. Uh, and it asks them to please reject the call of the deep. Uh, and it says, choose the sky instead. And this is where we're first introduced to these concepts that we know them now as sort of light and darkness. Mm. Uh, and here they're referred to as sky and deep. And it's the, the Leviathan pleads with them to, to not, like, don't follow the dark side. <laughs> you know, that mm-hmm. is what's going on here. Yeah, and instead they decide to continue with their revenge plot, basically. And you know, the Leviathan basically asks, tells them to kind of put down their their oath, their revenge. You know, just live your life as you're meant to live it. And then Sithona kind of comes in with the let's listen to the worm, like the familiar is telling us, you know, continue on. And, and who will you trust? Like the plain, honest worm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And this so, is this is interesting too because we're even now, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. We're seeing the tenets set forth by the darkness here, uh, like embracing death, uh, saying that it is inevitable and right, and existing in a state of like constant hunger that that drives ruin. And 
the Leviathan tells them, like, if you don't turn back, you will live the rest of your lives as nothing but death and devastation. Mm-hmm. And that light, the sky is the harder way, but it is ultimately kinder. And I love uh, the, the very end, the last line of that um, exchange with the Sathana talking, and who says, you know, let us go deeper, and then let us dive, oh, sister's mine. And it's like, it shows that she's almost, like, it kind of shows that how she's being consumed almost by the worms already, and it's already, like already the she's speaking, you know, as the worm spoke to them earlier on, and yeah. it's kind of a, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this and this is again. I think this is all very purposeful to sort of like sow <laughs> confusion, but again, using that sort of uh, sentence structure, the "oh, sister's mine." It, it, I feel like that is that is very much Bungie jabbing us with things that we already know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so there they are. They've they've pursued on past Leviathan. They've they've met the the five worm gods that they they will come to embrace: Ur, Yule, Zol, Ir, and Akka. And um, and these worms hold the secrets of the deep, these you know the secrets of the darkness, and um, they have a lot of power. And what we come to find out is um, they're the ones who have been drawing all these different uh, races to fundament. You know, the 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 picture that's painted is that the fundament was pro- was at one point may have been totally lifeless. And um, the worms who were there, you know, trapped in the core of the planet, started drawing all these uh, life forms and, and species to the planet, reaching out across the stars and influencing in what, you know, whatever ways that they can and have power to. Um, you know, this they got the entire planet of fundament. You know, not the the planet, but the Krill's planet to crash into fundament. You know, they're drawing these these creatures here in order to find a host species, in order to find somebody to for their symbiotes. And so there's this like million year, millions of year span plan that they've had here. And now here come the sisters through the needle ship uh, to, you know, as the, the fulfillment of, of this eons long uh, plot that the worms have had here in the core. Um, and this speaks, and, so, and this, yeah. this actually makes me think of the, the ghost fragment traveler two. And we were talking about this earlier, how it's quite possible that the hive were fleeing from the darkness. And then we have this line from the worms that say that they've been drawing civilizations to them. And it's interesting because in the, uh, in the traveler grimoire, it says the chase leads you where you need to be. You believe unless you are being pushed. And it's kind of this idea where, these species almost think they're finding salvation because they're fleeing where they want to go and things, but it might actually be the worms who are pushing them exactly where they want them. Totally. And this probably speaks directly to these three sisters who believe that, again, they are from like the weakest of all species, that they are sort of the meek of the planet. But lo and behold, the three of them have sort of traversed and beaten all odds and have proven themselves to be maybe the strongest by getting here. You know, the worms say that all these species came here, you know, thousands of species. We've been calling them for so long. uh, And you're the only ones who made it. 
you must be worthy of the power that we're offering. You're not the weakest. Maybe you are, in fact, the strongest. It's a very mm. alluring yeah. argument. Also, I just want to point out that if anybody out there recognizes those names, you will hear Zol or an Akka. Uh, those are, in fact, the opening lines to uh, the death song that is sung by the death singers. So, <laughs> uh, if you recognize those names, you've been dealing you've been hanging out with ear for too long <laughs> i don't know how you would ever hear words in in that <laughs> song man <That's> like... <laughs> he was obviously hanging out with our too long <laughs> a little bit too long if you have the taken king soundtrack the death song is one of the tracks on it and you can very clearly hear the names being said hmm. i'll have to listen to that <laughs> I mean, not that I want to. I, I never want to. Ever. It's terrifying. <laughs> You're listening to this suite of beautiful music that you recognize, and then all of a sudden that comes on, and it is so sharp and shrill. It, like, attacks your ears for, like, 35 seconds and then goes away. And those are also the name. Aren't those the names of uh, some of the chests that you open in The Taken King, right? Yeah, so... Yeah, when you're... Uh, these are linked to the worm singer and worm feeder runes uh, that you can find. Uh, and then after slaying 50 enemies, it will randomly turn into a key aboard the, that's used to open a chest aboard the Dreadnought, and you can find all five of these chests, the chest of Yule, and you can get the, the rune will turn into a key, and it could be like the key of Ear, Kirzol, Kirv uh, Aka. And what's so interesting you... is we find out we find out in the Books of Sorrow after the sisters choose to go along with these worms, um, the worms then instruct them to basically ingest their larva and then to seed their needleship with their larva. And so you'll see this um, throughout the game and throughout the history of the hive that the spawn of these worms, you know, they're still around. And so mm-hmm. all hive that are born to this day essentially are descended from one of these five worms. Um, and that's why, you know, even on the Dreadnought, we still see chests and, and sometimes around the chests, you know, you'll see the little worms that are kind of mm-hmm. hanging out and then they'll run away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's quite possible those are some of the larvae of these specific uh, god worms. Unless you can kill them before they run. Right. I, I always, always <laughs> creep in there well, nice and, and low and just blow them away. Yeah, and there's there's no indication that there's any other any other you know parent worms other than these five and um you know they they still hang about and so you know each each worm that we see in the dreadnought you know is con- considerably uh, directly descended from from one of these great worms and so there's these these sort of family lines that develop within the hive who like you know this this one group of of hive attributes themselves to to ear rather than or you know they've they've kind of have their own little divisions of of which one they adhere to the most um but yeah so so keeping with the story um they go back to the surface they take these worms with them in the needle ship well let's there's let's say there's a caveat here uh where the worms are saying here you are and this comes up later, especially important for Oryx. Uh, if you take these worms into yourself, you'll gain great power, you know, immortality. You, you gain all these vast abilities, but you are bound forever to your nature. Uh, mm-hmm. And in this, they say, you know, Oresh can never stop exploring and inquiring 
ever. Like you, the power granted by the worm is is fed not only by light, as we'll discover later, but by the very nature of its own host. So you know, Gyro can never stop fighting. Uh, Sathona can never abandon cunning, and more importantly for Arish, can never stop exploring can never stop having curiosity yeah and i think that part ties uh i think swooby referenced back earlier how it kind of has some parallels to like the you know, story of satan and how he would like tempt you like that definitely sounds like a, a satan type promise where like oh all you have to do is follow your nature like that's no big deal like yeah you'll have you'll live forever just follow your nature but you'll see that that's not as easy as it as it sounded <laughs> It comes with a with a with a catch, which mm-hmm. they'll discover down the road, yeah, um, in a big way, and that, that that comes into into actually how we defeat Oryx in the end is tied directly to that that catch. But uh, so they, with this caveat, they they go to the surface and they take all these uh, worms with them, and then um, very uh, <coughs> dictate dictate. Dict- Dictatorially, how do you say that? As a dictatorship, <laughs> they, they take these worms and they they basically tell all the other um, hive. I, we'll just call them hive. The proto proto hive um, basically take these worms or we'll kill you. It's kind of the way they, they go about it. And they, you know, and it's with a, a promise like, hey, we'll also live forever. But it's like we are going to 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 take the planet. We're going to live forever. And then they start conquering all the other species of fundament one by one, and they just start as a you know just going across the planet and just laying totally waste. yeah laying waste to everything yeah. this and is this, go ahead this is the start of, of verse two in the books uh mm-hmm. and it's sort of right here this is like the very start of like this transformation that occurs uh you know they're no longer these three sister heirs as we've known them they've they have now become something different they've transcended what they once were and are now starting a new existence yeah, uh, and at the very yeah. start here, we even see that Arash takes on sort of this king morph, which was sort of her destiny type. Pardon the pun. Uh, <laughs> and upon doing so, she takes a new name, uh, and she takes the name Oryx, A U R Y X, uh, which means long thought. So she is she has now become a king unto herself. And as you said, now they now they go out and they begin to sort of conquer as immortals. Right and. And before we we move on too far into the conquering, I have to ask the question: Are the worms the Ahamkara? <laughs> so, so I am firmly in the the yes, absolutely camp, and and I've got reasons for that. And and um, there, there's there's so many similarities, and obviously, you know the. The fact that they talk the exact same way. They both say, oh, reader mine, oh, bearer mine. Um, but I think one of the strongest arguments for that is the fact that there, there's the, the biggest similarity. The dead worms continue to talk, and they continue to talk in that way. And the bones of the armkara continue to talk, and they continue to talk in that way. That similarity is far too strong to for me to come to any other conclusion and um they you know and also they both do the same thing they both make bargains they both make promises that come with a high cost and, and even when we talk about the amkara as we know them in the city later 
um, in our system, you know, we made bargains with them, we gained power, but it was at such a high cost that the Vanguard eventually ordered the hunt, slaughter, and xenocide of everyone in the system. It's like, these are definitely not good guys. They make these promises, they make these huge bargains, um, and there's so many familiarities and similarities uh, between these two things, and um, so it, it's interesting to me that, that they seem almost more dangerous when they're dead, um, <laughs> which, which I think is one of the reasons why they were in the core of Fundament to begin with, why these worms were trapped there, guarded by this Leviathan. It's, it's, you can't just kill them. You can't just get rid of them and be done with it. You have to literally lock them away in the core of a lifeless gas giant and hope <laughs> that no one discovers them when, when the, you know, that's why it took millions of years for them to draw a host down where they could finally escape. Um, but there's this, there's this really sense between these guys that there's, there's, there's some trouble. So I'm, um, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm trying to understand your position on this. Um, so is it that the <clears throat> worms and the Ahamkara are the same or that they are infected by the worms similar to the way the sisters are? So, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. And, well, and there's, I've, I've read those arguments, and I've seen that, and and I, I still always come back to the fact that um, it's the bones of the Ahamkara, and it's the dead worms that speak. And if if the Ahamkara were, you know, were symbiotes, let's say, with the worms, um, we have not seen in any way where, uh, you know, the the dead body of a hive would continue to speak to us what? in the, w- the way of a worm you know like the, the host isn't the one who's talking it's the symbiote that's talking it's well what about talking what about when when uh eris is sending in and during the uh what is it lost to light mission to get that piece of the the shard looking for that whisper that still is contained you know is she looking for something that's speaking that was left from the defeat of of uh crota because isn't that what she's looking for is crota's whisper Crota's essence or soul or, or, or something. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's, and there's, there's definitely some arguments to be made for either side. Yeah. Um, well, we also know that Crota was an ascendant hive, so there, there could be way more going on there. Right. And right. Right. That's that, that makes me think of, um, we find out later in the books, you know, even when ascendant hive are killed and they're thrown worlds, they can still be brought back. There's still a remnant of them. And so, to me, it feels more like that with Crota. Like they're just we're trying to get at that last, that last remnant. To now, use see, it. I would imagine that to bring Crota back after being defeated in his throne world, somebody would have to do something incredibly stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, we went there and did something incredibly stupid. Well, and, and well, I just asked that question on my own. I, I haven't I haven't looked into any of this stuff on my own or, or went. Well, and it's a good question. And the it's, theories and it's it just. One that- that can will definitely be asked and and um, one thing that we, i'd skipped over too is um the the fact that um if the atrocity that was birthed in the the needle ship if it is the matriarch of the worms then we know for a fact that the worms have two states that they have a worm a chrysalis and then something else um because there was a chrysalis that birthed whatever it was yes in the, in right. the needle ship that atrocity and so um, you know, there's only one creature on earth with a chrysalis and that's a butterfly from a caterpillar. Um, and so it's very possible that worm chrysalis dragon. Are, are the butterfly of the destiny universe. It's, it's worm chrysalis 
this, you know, and then promise making dragon. And so, um, you know, and there's been a lot of talk about like, you know, it does worm like the W Y R M the old English. Well, maybe that means dragon. <laughs> and, and I don't, I don't really think that that's necessarily true. I think that these five great worms in the core, they never had hosts. <laughs> they never had anybody to, to, to have, to, um, have symbiosis with. And so they never became, uh, their, their final form. They never became drag like arm car. If that's indeed what they are, they never had a chrysalis. And so these are literally just great worms. They're ginormous millions of year old worms. Um, so there's nothing like weird in the translation there. I think we're literally dealing with worms and the Ahamkara as two separate things that are in fact the same species because they go through this metamorphosis in the middle, which is why the hive, um, refer to them separately when they're they encounter the dragons uh later on in their conquests and they refer to them as dragons they don't call them worms <laughs> when i don't so. i didn't mean to laugh in the middle of that but when you said wish make wish granting dragons <laughs> all i could think was falcor <laughs> never-ending story i'm thinking i'm like man those guys don't sound too scary to me <laughs> sorry i'm sorry i had to put no, it out there so anyone that knows I'm, what I'm i was talking about not, listening then uh sorry i'm but... gonna not think of that ever again i'm gonna picture it's gonna be well swooping through the air right <laughs> Man, oh, that sorry. Makes, that majestically. makes that makes young Ahamkar's spine, young Falcor's spine, and young Falcor's spine. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I ever see a quote that says Atreyu, then I'll uh, I'll be I'll be excited. So, no, sorry. All right, All right. again, X-ray to derail things. I'll I'll uh, let's get back on track. Where are we at in the story now? Well, I wanna I wanna I wanna I'll toss one piece in here. Originally, yeah. I thought that the Ahamkara were possibly agents of the worms, and that their job was to go out sort of into the the cosmos. And sort of like offered these secrets that would drive people towards the fundament, and that includes the Osmium King. Uh, they are like the galactic agents of the worms. Who are like, hey, here's here's fun stuff. Here's amazing things. And as those people or whoever they encountered were looking for more power, it would naturally lead them towards the worms because the worms were looking for hosts to escape to begin with. So but have again, you since changed your your kind of position? Well, we found we find out later in the Books of Sorrow, and this is what makes me question whether the Ahamkara are the worms themselves, is that the Ahamkara work technically against the worms. They're more like free agents than they are agents of any one thing. Uh, and we yes. find out later that Oryx hates the Ahamkara, and that they... Orcs. When Sat- Sabathun goes to vivisect them, I mean, yeah. she goes to the Harmony, the ones that are grant- granting wishes to the Harmony people, and she's, I mean, they go in with full-blown, you know. So, so yeah, so that's for me, it's like, if the Ahamkara were the worm, or were agents of the worm, why would they help the Harmony? Well, and it, it, when we're talking about Ahamkara, it's interesting, too, because we, we know so little about them. We know that yeah. they show up where the Traveler shows up. You know, they're in our system, first of all. Uh, they've been in the harmony system. They've they've shown up kind of along the path of the traveler, and and so if the worms um, from Fundament, if they are Ahamkara, it, it's you know I, I tend to think that maybe they are this um, you know the, you know not all humans are good. You know let's let's take it simply like maybe there's different camps of Ahamkara. Some are evil, some are good. Yeah. Um, 
there's you know there's so many different explanations that could be going on it's it's really hard to say um exactly what the relationships are until Bungie tells us more you know all right we should we should get back on track just because uh <laughs> we have a long way to go and we could probably talk about the ahamkara for five whole episodes if we wanted to i do want to mention real quick when it talks about the dragons and the that harmony um grimlock heart it, it they mention you know our gods should be ours alone so they do kind of reference that the dragons ahamkara are you know the worms at the same time Mm-hmm. And that's and that's the most I think hotly debated line because it can be read so many different ways. Yes, exactly. And you can read that as yes, that means the worms are definitely the Ahamkara, or you can read that as the Ahamkara also have the worms as their gods. You know, so True. there's there's two different ways to 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 read that, and I think that's what has kind of sparked the most debate around this. Yeah, well, yeah, like you said, it could go on for ages. So I guess X-ray, get us on track. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm busy thinking about Falcor. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to trying to find the never-ending story so I can watch it later. Um, the bugs right. Ao make so much sense now because they can you can pretty much fly with them. <laughs> there, there you go. So, all right, we are in we're in uh, the the second second book or, or verse, I guess, um, and. Have we? Where did we? Where did we just leave off? Gosh, we were talking about them conquering. Um, so yeah. yeah, so they they conquered and they they stole teleportation power from another species, and they the great worms broke free of the core, and now they're out in space and killing everything, and it's bad news bears. <laughs> What's well, right, interesting right. here because we get it, we finally this is a rare occurrence we get an actual number. Uh, the worms say that there are 511 species on the fundament. It is so rare for Bungie to give us a precise number <laughs> about anything. <laughs> so I wonder if that how that line snuck past QA. And five, five plus <laughs> just say plus hundreds. Just seven. say hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they're so they're out out doing this. Um, and I'm trying to find which. Which verse it was? Um, well, then, well, we so have, that was into the, that was into the sky, right? Yeah. Well, we have so we have verse two one here where they're they're conquerors. They they're immortal. They've risen up, and now they're back on this track of vengeance. We need to track down Teox and destroy anything even related to her, uh, because she had she's the whole reason why we sought out this power to begin with. And at the same time, they also have to fulfill the worm's sort of wishes of being like, hey, now you got to get us out of here, too. And I guess we should mention that that's, that's sort of where, that's, that's what's driving their, their mad killing spree, is, is they're chasing down Teox, who keeps taking refuge with all these other people, yeah. while she's fleeing from them and trying to fight back. And, and that's kind of originally where all this, this destruction is coming from. Yeah. So and and we also here is where in these verses here are where the sisters the other sisters start to go through their morphs as well, where Sathona becomes Savathun, uh, and Jairo becomes Jivu Arath. So they, now we're we're seeing this growth. We're seeing these three sisters become something completely different from what they were, and then now they're fueled by vengeance and this immortal power granted them by the worms. They're they're becoming 
something more than what they are and we sort of know what that's leading to and we'll work towards that and i think 2.2.1 kind of gives you a taste of you know uh the worms kind of showing the sisters that their nature isn't going to be fulfilled just by retaking their homeland and defeating yeah. Talox. you know says like i think the worm says you know you must know that reclaiming your home is not enough it's like that was their original goal and that was kind of why they made this deal but now they're kind of starting to get a taste to see that that's not gonna be enough to satisfy their nature and satisfy their worms right and uh if if x-ray will allow it i uh <laughs> oh we I, I can go into our next section of what their new purpose kind of becomes after they realize that ven you know vengeance on the fundamental won't be enough <clears throat> well they decide to leave right they 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 realize that they they want to for for a, i guess a number of reasons they they need to leave the fundament right is that right. where you're going yeah, and 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 further than that. So what I want to get into is a little bit of the philosophy behind what they're doing now, because after they leave, the worms teach them something called the sword logic, and the sword logic is really what drives all the other hive actions from their leaving fundament all the way down to our time. Well, before we get to sword logic, there's one really important thing that we should mention here. Uh, and that is in verse 2-4, and that is when we get our first mention of Ooh, a traveler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So early on when we talk about this god wave, right, it's, it's when these, these 52 moons, and they mention that I think way back in, in verse 1, yeah. um, that there were 52 moons, and this, uh, which one was it you mentioned? It was 2-4. Two, 2-4 two, four. Two, four is called yeah. 52 and two, 1, and one so go ahead. I'll, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, I, it's interesting. So that, you know, the, they discover that you know the fifty there's fifty two moons of fundament and one of them hosts a very 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 advanced civilization. Uh, they're star faring. They're powerful. Uh, you know, beyond anything they seem to uh, have encountered so far, and they call them the the Ammonite. Uh, and we know that they're a species of bony six armed cephalopods. Uh, <laughs> I'll if uh, I'll inject here that we have a fan of of cephalopods uh, in the form of uh, I'm sorry uh, his name is escaping me at the moment the third member of uh, the Vault of Glass fire team Pahanin <laughs> yeah Pahanin he was Pahanin uh, in any case we discovered that these Ammonites they are they are a race chosen by the Traveler. We discover a 53rd moon in the orbit of Fundament, and it is the Traveler. Uh, and it's very clearly referred to as a Traveler, the divine presence of the sky. Uh, but we also learn that the Traveler is responsible for the alignment of the moons, the coming of this great disaster that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Is being caused by the traveler. So, so now we have so the traveler has existed for millennia. The traveler was there at the birth of the hive. Now that we now we know this, uh, and it's it's chosen a race. It's advanced that race to an amazingly sophisticated degree. Uh, it's doing its traveler thing, but it's also may also be responsible for a great disaster facing this system. Uh, 
And just as a personal note, this this card bothers me for the very next line, which is, you'll have to kill them all <laughs> and take that. their stuff. Like, <laughs> what? I love that. I was just going to say that. <laughs> I great. feel like this is monkeys you typing out stuff. Shakespeare, and this right. is the one line that didn't quite make it. <laughs> take their stuff. <laughs> take their stuff. Uh, now, now before, before we move past that, isn't there... In the Books of Sorrow, there's a little bit of um, conflict as far as actually who's causing this god wave. Like, it isn't there's there's some accusations going on that the worms might be causing it. Isn't that right? Uh, is there? I'm under the impression that the trial. There, that we're I'll have to I'll have to dig in and find it. Maybe we can. I, I don't have it in front of me right now, but I, I know, or at least I remember there being a, a little bit of doubt further on that's cast upon. You know, originally the, the thought is it's the traveler, but there's the, then it becomes there's some doubt that maybe it's actually there's some there's some deception happening behind with the worms and they're actually surprise. been behind it as sort of a driving force to to to, to force the hand of the krill. Oh, I see. So I I guess uh, you know I'm I'm just been thinking here and and I could see you know based on what we know about the traveler when it when it comes here or to us. Um, you know, terraforming the planets and making life better and making things great for everyone that that's kind of involved, and uh, and so I don't think we know. Do, do we know how long the traveler sat there in that that system at the, with the fundament? I don't think it really. We don't really says. It's, at this so, point. It's got to be le- well. I guess it doesn't. No, I say it's got to be less than ten years, but that's not true. Yeah, but but what I was going to say was, you know, maybe if if it if the Traveler is uh, responsible for this syzygy. <laughs> Look at that. That might actually be right. Might be yeah. right. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe it's because the Traveler was there and, and trying to make things better and realize this is kind of a, a lost hope. You know, it's it's and maybe it's better off that we just kind of wipe it clean and, and not let this, this <laughs> here we go, darkness um escape or or infect yeah. infect the rest of of the the great things that that uh we that the traveler wants to do uh, so i can definitely understand why the traveler may may want to cause that or may do that it yeah makes sense to me well, and this is that's another like another point that could be made here where it's like you know if the if the traveler is an agent of the light and the light knows that these five worms are trapped inside this gas giant it could say to the traveler, "This is our chance to destroy these things once and for all." And yeah, we're gonna have to destroy 511 species that crashed into the fundament. But for the the sake of the known cosmos, let's annihilate them once and for all. Line up the moons, cause this massive catastrophe on fundament, and destroy the worms all at once at the same time. Or if the if these this god wave wouldn't necessarily annihilate the worms you know at least the travelers getting rid of these these 500 potential hosts yeah Yeah. exactly yeah the these these other species that Mm -hmm. could help to spread the worms or not that's you know what i mean (laughs) and it makes me it makes me wonder if the leviathan isn't also an agent of the light that can work with the traveler and i apologize that this reminds me of halo rings (laughs) it totally does man it definitely feels the same you know, but that's one of those things where it's like, okay, you know, the 
the Leviathan is actually like essentially, you know, a halo ring. And to trigger it, you need a massive, you know, magnetic pulse. And you can do that by lining up these planets. So you stick the Traveler at one end and the Leviathan at the other. And you create this magnetic wave that detonates, you know, or causes this God wave thing that annihilates all the potential hosts for these worms, similar to what the halo rings did with the flood. Well, and it's interesting too, because as soon as, as soon as the worms make it to the surface and they start you know, taking symbiotes and conquering the, the surface of fundament, um, the Leviathan's quote agents, whoever these random agents are, they go into panic mode and start destroying every orbit capable ship on the surface of fundament yeah. in order to prevent the, the worms from being able to escape into orbit, you know? So, so Leviathan is, is definitely, uh, on our side. Uh, he's trying to get the the worms to to not escape fundament. That is yeah. his goal: is keep them on the planet no matter the cost. And he ultimately mm-hmm. fails miserably at that. <laughs> uh, Bungie, you're so predictable. <laughs> 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 okay. Wow. All right. So yeah. so we're past the uh, the the fifty two and one verse there. Yeah. Well, and it's um, interesting once because um, then the sisters they go to destroy the Ammonites. Um, under the direction of the worms, and and then they want to go. Their plan is you know, once we destroy the Ammonites, then we'll deal with the Traveler. Um, but you see in, in verse two five that you know the Ammonites actually kind of defeat the the sisters for quite a while, and it's Arx's failure that you know he kind of struggles, and start, the Ammonites start to push them back a little bit. Yeah, we sort of learned that strength is not enough to defeat them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't, they cannot face the Ammonites on their own terms with the Traveler behind them and win. Uh, they, have to, they have to find another way to, to destroy the Ammonites because they're ju- just too powerful. So why, why then in 2.5 does it say, um, with Zaibu Arath, you cannot defeat the Ammonites and Teox in line combat? So why would it mention? Do we? Is there something that uh, that brings the Ammonites and Taox into kind of the same line? Are they? Is, um, she they're had, not working together, right? She or, had fled they... there, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, That's okay. where she had t- She's taken been refuge from moon to mm-hmm. moon to moon yeah. to escape them. Got it. And, All right. And I'm under the impression too that that Taox knows what's going on with the worms, and she at this point is is sort of on the side of the Leviathan and, and Traveler going, hey, we, th- this cannot escape. This cannot leave. We've got to, to, you know, she kind of convinces the Ammonite that the, the hive have to be stopped. And so they, you know, they're they're on the same team fighting against uh, the, the proto-hive here. Or but, I guess that at this point they, they, they are the hive. So so Teox has taken on the uh, the whole... Hammer of Soul defense strategy of run away. <laughs> so. Exactly. Yes. You're, right, you're not going to win, so run. <laughs> yeah. Get out of the way. Just wait for it to be over. <laughs> okay. So there. So they can't. So they can't defeat that. We talked about the sword logic, or no, no, no. We hadn't. We we cut Beta off. So Beta, let's uh, <laughs> go ahead, buddy. Go ahead and take your take your shot at sword logic. Let's see. Let's see what All we got right. there. And and this is where. I'm going to deviate from us following kind of the verses in order because the sword logic is something that is, it just comes up again and again and again and again. 
And so this is kind of more an overview of what this is, so that wherever you're reading about it in the Books of Sorrow, you hopefully will have a better understanding of what's going on. Um, and I'm I'm going to apologize right now. I'm probably going to be beta the shattered after this. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to quote a lot of Toland, and I'm going to channel a lot of Toland. And <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Um, and... So I know I just talked about the sword logic, but to kind of understand the sword logic, first we need to understand something called the last true shape. It's another concept that appears many times in the Books of Sorrow, also sometimes referred to as the final shape. Um, and so I'm going to begin by quoting from Ghost Fragment, Darkness 3, which is Tolan speaking, and he says, I drive myself to the edge of madness trying to explain the truth. It's so simple elegant like a knife point. It explains, this is not hyperbole, this is the farthest thing from exaggeration, everything. Why does anything exist? Why do we have atoms? Because atomic matter is more stable than the primordial broth. Atoms defeated the broth. That was the first war. There were two ways to be, and one of them won. And everything that came next was made of atoms. And so now to channel some Toland. <laughs> so if you guys see... The atom was the final shape of its war. So sometime long ago, um, before the universe, the atoms and something else were fighting. And the atoms won that war. They became the last true shape of their war. And so now, all life in the, in the universe is made up of atoms. Um, and this is, this is the key now to understanding what the worms want, and what Oryx wants. So, we're in a new war now, and from, and by the way, I'm just going to say this now, I'm kind of, this is one of those things where it's so complicated in my head that I'm going to just kind of keep talking. So if you have questions, please interject, because <laughs> right. I'm just going to keep going. Well, I want to bring up, I want to bring up one other thing here as we get into this, because it relates to sort of the Traveler and how we exist as Guardians and they, like this opening line of the sword logic in the Books of Sorrow talks about paracausal weapons. Uh, and it's important to sort of understand a bit what causality is, you know, which is the relationship between cause and effect, and that the principles that everything has a cause that creates an effect. And once you become sort of paracausal at that point, once you transcend that, uh, you're no longer bound by basically is like physics <laughs> as we know it. Uh, you're no longer bound. Things don't have to have a cause. You could be your own cause. Uh, you can exist because you choose to exist. Your existence defines itself. Uh, and this is a huge sort of underlying presence in destiny as a whole, where we as guardians are paracausal. We make our own fate. We're not bound by causality. Uh, and this is a hugely advantageous thing in in the world of destiny because you're you're no you're no longer bound by all these natural things by 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 physics you know by anything that could be an open or closed loop no longer applies to you you can do whatever you want because whatever you want to do is what you want to do <laughs> like it's it's tough it's a it's a insane concept uh in metaphysics to wrap your head around the idea of causality and paracausality but 
we know that the Traveler has the ability to grant these sort of paracausal weapons to whatever culture it interacts with. So well, and even more than that, it's it's the 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 light and the dark are by nature paracausal. Yes. So they, these are the forces we're dealing with here. So right. and this is. And as we go into the sword logic, the sword logic is important because the sword logic is is how you fight back against that. It's how you develop a paracausal tactic to fight against another paracausal tactic. Right. And and I should and right before I keep going, a lot of this is my interpretation. I I like to think I'm right, but if you guys have different opinions, <laughs> chime in. Um and so, yeah, so talking about defining oneself, I mean, when you think about an atom, an atom is not defined by life or death or its culture or its conscience. Like an atom, just, an atom is an atom. Like it just defines itself. It is itself. And that's exactly what Oryx wants. So the worms teach Oryx and they tell him, your will defeats law. Basically, you know, and by law meaning natural physics. And they're trying to push Oryx towards this final shape. They're trying to say, Oryx, you know, you want to become not just life. You don't want to be defined by death. You just want to be Oryx, um, to be the last thing standing so that after you, all other things have to go through you. Um, just, and we see uh, there's a kind of a hint of this. We, we've seen the last true shape, actually, already in this war, and it's the Taken. We have Ikora and Eris. They're discussing the Taken, and Ikora says... I tried to use the word shadow, but Eris hisses at me. A shadow is a flat projection, cast by a light in an object, less real. Eris insists that these taken are more real, somehow. She uses words like inhabited, exalted, rendered final. And so we know that the taken are bent by Oryx's will, so the taken really are a manifestation of this, la of this new last true shape. Just as we're made of atoms, the, the Taken are essentially made of the will of Oryx. And they are Oryx, and, and he inhabits them, or his will inhabits them. And so this is, if we're ever wondering what the worm's ultimate goal is and what the end of the universe will look like, this is why they're killing everything. Because they want to become the last true shape. And the funny thing here is, the, I believe in the, uh, in the Books of Sorrow, the verse is called The Scream. And it's when Oryx realizes the great lie that if they don't keep killing and satisfying their worm, then their worm will devour them. And, and this truly is the great lie because this whole time Oryx is striving to become the last true shape. But if you are the last thing standing, you know, ask the question, is there anything left to kill? If you can't do anything else, can you satisfy your worm? And so in the end, the worm would be the one who's truly the last true shape because Oryx would cease to exist the hive would all die and the worms would be the ones who are actually standing in the end um such as something you know the great deceit that mm. is involved in all of this and so now that we've established what the last shape is we're going to get to the sword logic because as drop said the sword logic and again this section is much more my interpretation but it's how i believe that they get to become the last true shape and how it works so we actually have an awesome grimmer card called Sword Logic. And so the worms tell the Oryx, they say, kill a hundred of your children with a long blade. Oryx, and observe the change in the blade. 
Observe how this universe shrinks from you in, in terror. Your existence begins to define itself. And so here we see that the will of the wielder, so Oryx's will, um, is executed basically through this blade and his killing. And this is kind of just one of those meta things. And the blade remembers. So if you were to think about killing someone with a sword, you know, your, you exerted your will through the sword to kill someone else and defeat their will. And now that will is remembered on the blade of the sword, either as a nick or a cut or a stain. But the point is the sword remembers. Um, it remembers that it triumphed. And it's kind of, and it also is a bridge between the will of the wielder and the defeated will of the victim. And so we have, I believe these are Toland's words again from the Grimacard Ascendant Sword. Yep. And Toland, he's describing this concept of um, the sword being a bridge. So he says, a shredder or a boomer is a powerful weapon, but it kills acyclically. You see, it sends out harm and it takes nothing back. The bolt passes away into nothing. A sword, though, a sword is like a bridge, a crossing point. The sword binds wielder to victim. It binds life to death. And when the binding is done, the sword remembers. When the boomer... When the boomer's fire has burnt away into axion and neutrino scatter, the sword goes on, hungrier and sharper. Understand that this nightmare logic underpins his nightmare world. And here, Toland is referring, his is Crota in this case. And the nightmare world is the throne world of Crota, which we entered in the raid in the dark below. The Oversoul Throne. Yes, the Oversoul Throne. And so, basically... <clears throat> When Oryx and his sword take a, take a life, um, all that remains is the sword, obviously, and the wielder. And so now, this is where it's going to get a little bit more crazy. We need to take this metaphor and think of it in terms of the universe. So we've been discussing just Oryx killing people and his sword. But now if we think of it in terms of the universe, there's life and there's death. But there's also this bridge between life and death. There's some, you know, whenever someone dies... There's this little transition that somehow we transition between the two states, and that's described as a bridge. And so now, basically, the sword logic taken to that level is for the hive to essentially inhabit that bridge. So if, and this is sorry, if I'm sounding crazy, I'm, I'm told, and this is where it just gets crazy because it's like it makes sense to me, but probably nobody else. But basically, if you have life and then you have a bridge and death. And so you want to wield the bridge just as uh, someone would wield the sword to execute their will. Will, And so it says in another Grimmer card, the incision from the Books of Sorrow, Savathun said, Oryx, my brother and king, I have studied the wounds cut by the worm our god. Also I have studied the manner of your death and return. These two things are the same, for they are predicated on death and the passage through cut spaces. Let us practice the sword logic until we are sharp. We may then cut our own wounds and step through. But Sivu Aroth said, Sister, I am already sharp. Look, my sword cuts into another space. And she cut her way between moons through green fire and joyous screams. And so the, the key to this verse is, you know, we want to focus on death and the sword logic being about nothing but death. But what it's really about is the practice of death. It's when they say they want to make their sword sharp, they're saying they want to make their wills sharp so that they can essentially cut into the space, the passageway between life and death, 
at will. And they, and they learn that technique by practicing killing because the closer they are to death, the closer they are to the passage, to the bridge. And so that's how they learn to cut through. And basically, this is what the throne worlds are. And it's not that the hive are creating these throne worlds because they're trying to escape death. Um, it, that's kind of petty. What they're trying to do is to create these throne worlds so that they can control the bridge between life and death. So it's not just to escape death, it's to control the bridge between the two. Um, whew, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm only like halfway done. Um, well, and we, we get it, we also hint of this in the mission Lost to Light, uh, where uh, we get messages from Toland. And Toland says, you know, that we have been, we've been ignorant of death. Like we haven't given death the respect it deserves that we see this sort of like this final ending and that's the end of the story but to embrace the sword logic and to embrace sort of the high philosophies you have to understand that is it's just a step it's one more step to gaining even more power uh, right yeah exactly the uh and this is where so what's really happening is so imagine with the atom and I'll, then i'll try to bring it back to oryx so if the atom defeated everything in the universe, right? So the atom was the last thing standing. Then, and let's say the atom was kind of inhabiting this bridge between life and death. Then for anything to ever cross into life again, you know, as crossing a bridge, it would have to pass through the atom. If the atom were the gatekeeper of the bridge, only by its will could anything ever pass into life again. And we see that today. Nothing exists except by the atom. And so this idea is that if Oryx can learn to inhabit the passageways and the bridge between life and death, then once he's the last true shape and everything in the universe is dead and Oryx is alone and inhabiting his throne worlds or inhabiting the sword space, as they're called, or this passageway, then if there's anything that's ever going to cross from death or from the broth back to life, it'll have to cross the bridge and it will have to pass through the gatekeeper. And so, and that, that's my interpretation. This is where, you know, I think that's the conclusion I've come to is that the sword logic is about remembering. And the only way to remember is to exist on that bridge between life and death so that when death tries to either come back to life or new life tries to form, it has to pass through your bridge and it has to pass through you. And that's how you truly become powerful. And you, you essentially, yeah, you, you step out of the laws of physics. Um, and so, yeah, so I'll pause there for a second. <laughs> this all, <laughs> this there, all sounds what? remarkably similar to another race that we have encountered in Destiny and what their ultimate goal is. Yes, uh, yes, it does. <laughs> and that is the Vex, you know, who are trying to write themselves into the very fabric of reality. And, and uh, I believe it's Ikora who states it, is we have yet to, you know, really, uh, what's the word, study the possible relationship between the Vexgate network and the Hive Throne worlds, that they possibly might even be fighting to inhabit the same these same spaces, mm -hmm. which is something I'm sure that we will come across. Yeah, uh, we may especially not... as we get deeper into Toland and Osiris, who are two sides of that same coin. Yeah, we may not get to that at, on this episode at this the rate this is going, but there's a there's some uh, history about the Vex and the and the Hive and, and why they may share that similar end goal. There, so. right? 
That'll be a fun one. So, you, so, and so, go ahead, go ahead, drop. Well, you had previously mentioned something about uh, about Oryx dying uh, and and Oryx coming back, and that in and of itself is a is a story here. Yes, it is. <laughs> if we want, and yeah, that that's worth worthy of touching on right now. Um, so, before we get to that, really quick, you know, to myself, sometimes I think I sound crazy. Did that sound crazy to you guys? <laughs> Or did it, am I the shattered right now, or am I a little bit more ascended? <laughs> it's going to be a little of both. I mean, it, right. to, to me, to me, it makes sense, uh, you know, sort of in a way where it's like, if you were a race of beings, uh, an immortal race of beings faced with another race that you're trying to conquer, who has the ability to just sort of like sidestep causality to deploy these weapons of paracausality against you you would have to develop a way to fight back against that. Uh, and if they're the light and you're the darkness, uh, it makes sense that, hey, you know what? Let's, let's look for sort of like these dark, or some kind of dark ritual or something in order to combat this. And to discover that by, you know, sort of transcending and, and controlling the bridge between life and death sounds like a pretty potent way to, to combat uh, any kind of, paracausal weapons being deployed against you okay cool so at least one 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 person got <laughs> so, so i I'll have to listen I'm, to it or, a few times. well but we know we know drop loves tolan so him and i might be crazy together yeah but, uh, <laughs> all right so so drop brought up that good point of the story of you know orcs dying and coming back and that i think those stories are easier to understand now because we've, we've discussed this on previous episodes why is it that when I kill Crota or Oryx in our realm that we then have to go kill them again um, and things like that? And it, it helps when you think about this bridge. If the throne worlds inhabit the bridge between life and death, when we kill them in our realm, we're really not sending them to die. We're simply sending them back to the passageway between life and death. And then once we enter that passage, the sword space, and their throne realm, and kill them there, then we're kind of sending them the rest of the way across the bridge to try and push them over to death. Um, but yes, so we know that all of the sisters have died at one point or another, and part of their practice of death was dying in our material physics normal realm, going to their throne <clears throat> world and coming back. But what's very interesting as well is we actually have these instances of basically them dying in their throne world and still coming back <laughs> well i want to go back even further uh, okay so you know we have verse two six here which is the sword logic describing all these things uh and we know that the sword logic is being deployed against uh the the paracausal weapons of the ammonites uh but we also learn that that oryx has separated herself from this uh she doesn't care about war she's not looking at this fight uh and that the sword logic also serves this purpose of drawing oryx back into this conflict uh yeah kind of like the pair casual weapons used by the amorites kind of piqued her interest yeah so now now oryx comes back and there's still Again, this isn't this isn't Oryx the Taken King. This is still Oryx, the Curious. Uh, yeah, the Curious, the the King Morph of Arash. Uh, 
And I do believe, though, after two, uh, I think it's just verse two, when Rx takes the King Morth, I believe um, Rx is referred to as brother from that point on. Yeah. If I'm, I may be mistaken, but I believe that is what happened. Now, yeah, I see he's referred to as uh, with male pronouns, mm -hmm. him and his. Uh, but upon returning to that war, uh, we learned that Oryx didn't necessarily immediately start to fight, that Oryx tried to parlay with the Ammonites mm -hmm. uh, to create some kind of neutral ground uh, to, to sort of, I guess, work out a deal here. I mean, if you have two, now you have like the paracausal weapons of the Ammonites and the sword logic wielding you know, proto hive army. No one's going to win that. <laughs> uh, and that Oryx is betrayed. Much like, much like his father was, he's betrayed. Uh, and Savathun murders Oryx. Sister. Yeah. <laughs> I like how the, um, in, the, in the verse there, how you know, the worm says, you know, she couldn't have given you a better gift than you know, this betrayal. You know, it was the best gift of love, basically, that she could have done. Well, this is where those throne worlds first come into, I think, come into being. This is the first discovery of that, mm -hmm. uh, where, you know, Oryx is murdered by his <clears throat> sister, and the worms say to Oryx, you know, you came from weakness. You came from the most hostile of conditions. It is now your responsibility to, con to continue to create that throughout the universe, uh, even to your sisters, and even to, to your own your offspring, the beings that you create. You know, your job is to create the most hostile of conditions to prove the strength of their own existence. Uh, so in this, using this philosophy, Savathun betraying Oryx was a, yeah, was a, a gift. But that even though his body was destroyed, his will at this point is so strong that it has created, you know, it is safe on the bridge. Mm -hmm. And I think it's um, important to note, going back um, one verse before on the, the sword logic, uh, verse um, the worm talking to Rx mentions you know it wasn't just your curiosity that brought you back to the war um, it's like you felt your own death growing inside you like you must obey your nature you must your worm must feed and so it again just reminds you know Rx is kind of, kind of feels himself dying at this point because he's not fighting he's not following his nature and so I think that's important to note there and this is where. Right. Go, Go ahead, ahead drop. Okay, okay. we're getting uh, these. Uh, sorry, <laughs> we're getting these hints of tragedy now. We're getting that that maybe this deal was a little bit more raw than they thought. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, we do learn, but after they do go on to defeat the Ammonites, and after that, they do seem to start embracing their their destiny, their fate. <clears throat> we um, they essentially begin to worship death. We have the card the high war from the books of sorrow where it says for 20,000 years they fought across the boons moons and they fought in the abysmal plains and lightning palaces of each other's sword spaces and they killed each other again and again so that they could practice death such was their love work said i shall establish a court and whoever comes into this court may challenge me my court will be the high war it will be a killing ground and a school of the sword logic we have learned from our gods 
Sabathun thought this was a great idea. She made a court called the High Coven. Zivu Aroth said, the world is my court wherever there is war. And which makes sense because if she is to, if her nature is to kill all things, she doesn't need to practice her nature. She simply is killing. And and what goes what's interesting is not just that you know the hive have the sword logic and it's what it's why they create their throne spaces and to exercise their will and make their will sharp. But what's interesting is something Tolan teaches us, and it's that the light also has to follow the sword logic. <clears throat> and and this is just really interesting to me because it's it really is if we as the light, as the sky, as the guardians and the traveler want to win, we need to embrace this mentality of war, essentially, is what Toland is telling us. Um so he says in the King's Fall Grimmer card, he says the principle he put upon his his brow was slaughter constant and escalate oh nope i misquoted sorry <laughs> not right. just x-ray starting o- starting over <laughs> so from the war priest we have the principle he put upon his brow was slaughter constant and escalating the principle he put behind his eyes was victory which is the last true shape the principle he put into his hands was tribute to oryx king of taking tithing to his lord that the first navigator might escape the need to kill for substance, the worm need, that he might use his power to lead the final work, a most fateful servant, most fateful, saying, Challenge me, by the law of my ascendance, match me in bloodshed, or in blood be drowned. And we as guardians, when we enter the King's Fall raid, we have to follow the sword logic. We encounter the war priest, and it's only by drawing blood that we are admitted access you know beyond him to orcs's throne um and you know which is now this this is the much more fun lighthearted part because with the hard mode this weekend <laughs> and with all this raiding you know th- this is the time to go sightseeing <laughs> yeah. this is the time to start thinking of these fights in terms of lore instead of fights but so now when you whenever you are fighting the the war priest think of it not as I'm killing the war priest, but we are essentially practicing death um, in front of this priest and over this priest so that we might gain, our will might become strong enough with the sword logic that we're allowed entrance to Oryx, Oryx's throne world. So, and it's interesting because they talk about sort of like war and death as a form of worship. Mm-hmm. So even in that, even in that, you know, sort of ascending above the war priest and proving our might as its own right thing over the war priests we're sort of in a way engaging in a form of worship to orcs uh and it's that's like a it's a strangely subversive thing to think about because it's not like that's not we're not running out i mean in a way we are just running out and killing aliens (laughs) but you know now now we're part of this great cycle like we've been we're inside Oryx's throne world, uh, deep inside of it, and we have to play by its rules. We have no other choice. And that means, you know, worshipping possibly the form of our own destructor. Right. And and it's it's the fact that we begin we enter through that worship, but once we defeat Oryx, we kind of abandon it. And for that, Toland is not happy. 
<laughs> he says, you fools, you disastrous bumbling squanderers. It's not right. Who shall? Who now shall be first navigator, lord of shapes, harrowed god, taken king? Not you. You might have been kings and queens of the deep, but you have toppled Oryx and you have not replaced him. There must be a strongest one. It is the architecture of these spaces. Why are you leaving? So basically, yeah, it's this whole idea of the sword logic is we need to capture the will of others to reign supreme in the sword space, the bridge between life and death. And so we, it, we go into the raid and we, you know, when we're detonating the corrupted light and we're shooting Oryx's chest, you know, we're, we're essentially freeing this will, this light that Oryx has captured. Um, but then we don't keep it for ourselves. Yeah. And we just let it go. We blow it up. <laughs> and so, and the interesting, one interesting note is, you know, essentially that's what kills orcs. It's, we know um, from the grimoire that the more that the Ascendant Hive exert themselves to fight, the, the hungrier their worm becomes. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that we, orcs is trying to kill us, but we keep releasing the light that he's supposed to be offering to his worm, you know, in my opinion, it's, it's the lack of light that actually kills orcs in the end. It's essentially we've released all of the tribute and the worm now is so hungry it just devours him. Yes. And that's and that's why he doesn't disintegrate. He turns into this chrysalis no, and floats off. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, it's funny because, you know, and again leading up to this point, you know, reading through the grimoire, we learned that, you know, a huge source of his tribute was coming from Crota, and we destroyed Crota. And a huge source of his tribute comes from the court of Oryx, and we destroy the court of Oryx. So, and his daughters, yeah, and even yeah, even his daughters. So at this point, you know, Oryx, he's like he's like I don't know, running on fumes at this point. Uh, yeah, and he's got to give everything he has there at the end because there's no more coming. We we cut off all the supply, so he's got to use what's left. Right. And, and, it, and it doesn't work out well for him. No. <laughs> also, I'd like to point out that Saturn is also a quasi-gas giant. So if we send his corpse hurtling towards Saturn and it sinks deep down into that planet, <laughs> who knows what might come out of him. Ooh. Right, and if we really want to open a can of worms... <laughs> we... <laughs> what? Let's go fishing, come on. That was unintended, but perfect. Um, we have the Legends and Mysteries card which describes the nine and that one of the descriptions of the nine are Leviathan intelligences that are on Jupiter. Oh, awesome. <laughs> and Zen so after the books of, you know, in the base game, that made no sense after the books of sorrow, that suddenly is very interesting yeah. that we have another gas giant in our own system with a Leviathan supposedly guarding something. But anyway, so that's, that's, I'm I'm gonna step off my Toland soapbox, <laughs> and yeah, and so essentially the sword logic is all about dominating the bridge and being the last thing standing, and Toland is really angry at us because, you know, if we're really fighting for the light, if we had kind of taken over Oryx's role there, we might have been able to win something for the light by taking over that bridge, but we have now chosen to le to leave it abandoned, and now who knows what deceiving party will uh will come to inhabit that space uh, uh, marasov uh, uh. 
That was a weak call. You better work on that. <laughs> it was, it's her plan all along. I think it's pretty obvious at this point. So uh, we have we've discussed this in uh just in amongst ourselves and I had someone actually ask me this when I was do it going through the raid. Um but I wanted to see if one of you guys wanted to talk about this. But when you're going through the daughters part of the King's Fall and then being on Oryx, there's a couple parts where you're kind of following this white orb around when you're torn between dimensions. Um what what do you think that is or what's that about yeah i'll jump on this in a heartbeat uh here's here's my theory that's toland uh and this this occurs to me only because when we're facing you're facing the two the two daughters uh what is the purpose of being torn between dimensions to grab a relic with which to defeat them why would they give that to you it does not make any sense to me uh and then i thought the thing that, you know, if the two daughters who are you know, sort of the, the weaver and the unraveler, uh, they don't really have the power to tear things between dimensions, and no hive or taken we've seen has the ability to really do that. But there is somebody who already inhabits that space and could have the power to do that, and that's Toland. So there's a good chance that that white spark, that guide along this entire path, uh, could be Toland himself, and it's Toland's magic that tears us between dimensions and gives us access to these things with which to sort of challenge uh, the Hive, to challenge Oryx and his spawn. Because we know, well, we know already, Toland loves to watch Guardians fight against the Hive. Like, he's been doing <laughs> it for a while. We've discussed this uh, in, in our episode about the Hive and the first Crota Fire team. That is right up Toland's alley. Like, hey, here I am, you know, floating in sort of like these uh, uh, overthrown worlds. I can I can traverse these different dimensions. I can observe all these things about the hive. Uh, and I've watched you come this far. In fact, I've guided you along this far. I want to see if you can take out Oryx. So I'll let me I'll step in a little bit here uh, and see what I can offer to to move that along. And, and and it explains why he's so angry when we when we essentially leave. It's almost like you know no gratitude for yeah for him helping us out there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. We from those messages we know that Toland was present during that fight. He watched us do that. He's there somewhere. Like I was I was I was in the Oryx fight in the raid a few days ago, and man, I just wanted to like run around and try and find any hint of him like floating in the sky somewhere <laughs> or fading in and out of existence. Like he's that'd, there. That'd like, cool. do I have to equip bad juju and like <laughs> continuously shoot into something to get him to appear and be like, sacrifice all your uh, sun singer friends. <laughs> Dismantle. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to, you're going to spend all of the taken King looking for that. Uh, kind of like the, kind of like the, uh, the, the, hidden chest in the vault just to be just to wait until the third just just until destiny 2 comes out and they'll be like oh here it is so he's there somewhere he's involved he's he's been with us this whole way he's delivering messages that only we can hear uh he's part of this story he's a deep part of this story and he's there somewhere so him being involved in this is not that far-fetched Maybe we should uh, talk about Toland more in the future, huh? <laughs> yeah, maybe we should do that. 
we we have a whisper planned for Toland, so it, it will be released at a, at some point soon. So and I'm excited about that. My favorite, my one of my favorite characters from the lore, if not my most favorite. All right, so what's that bring us to? Where are we at in the we're at in our verse, story? We kind of we're kind of at verse two eight, and this is an the important part of this verse is you know you had mentioned earlier that oh maybe it was the worms who summoned the god wave, uh, and it's in this verse that the leviathan says you know who made you into monsters you know open your eyes who summoned that wave, and here we get a sense that oh maybe it wasn't the traveler. Uh, and that maybe that was deception by the worms, and maybe it really was the worms who were causing this thing. All right. And I believe that we've, I believe the verse right before it talks that the, the god wave is um, occurring. It's you know devastating the the fundament about this time. All right. So uh, so where are we at then? We need to uh, let's talk about uh, let's get into verse three a little bit. The hive. Um, where are we at here? We're looking at we're looking at two nine first two nine and this is this is the conquest the Ammonites have been uh, okay. have been defeated uh, the sword logic triumphed over their paracausal weapons uh, the hive for the most part they infected as I said they infected their weaknesses uh, and now we have like this this great victory of of Arash or Oryx Savathun and Zivu Arath over. Uh, the traveler over the Ammonites, uh, and the worms are now free, and the worms are able to sort of operate in the reality as we know it because they're no longer. This was like this was their final conquest. This was like this big huge thing. So. <laughs> yeah, if if only. Yeah, and then we see here that. A lot of uh, traveler's intentions. You know, we see that the traveler fled after this and kind of escaped again, and that kind of creates this chase that we'll see throughout the, these books. With the hive kind of chasing the traveler, and the traveler fighting for a little bit and then dipping out right before it gets too bad. And this this verse two point nine brings up some interesting points too from the worms themselves. Like we obviously have the sword logic here, where we say you became more worthy of existence than the Ammonites, and you have proven it. But they all, the worms also say here, we are the worm, your God, but we are not the deep. We only move within it, and mm-hmm. you shall too. So we learn that the worms are not the darkness. Uh, that, you know, whether the darkness exists as this, you know, non-defined cosmic element, uh, the worms are absolutely not it. They're not the great threat here i mean they're a great threat but they're not sort of like the end game here right if anything they're more agents yeah slightly similar to how zur you know operates his will is not his own (laughs) and here this is where the worms make an ask they ask you know they ask zivu arath they ask oryx and they ask sabathun to become their champions to to help them engage in their war against the sky or against the light there's a small part of me that thinks that these worms are just like, they just have a grudge against the traveler. Maybe, you know, they got fired and maybe they used to work for the traveler and they just have this stupid grudge. They're like, we're going to take him out, guys. Well, it's mm-hmm. funny because like you think, oh, well, maybe it was the traveler who trapped the worms in the fundament 
but it's like they became super powerful by being down there mm-hmm. so like they could go on a vengeance spree against the traveler for trapping them there but they wouldn't be powerful enough to engage in that vengeance spree if they hadn't been tra- trapped down there in the first place yeah it's yeah. it's really unclear the nature of their original delivery in the needle ship mm-hmm. like were they were they sent there like as a prison or were they were they escaping to the core mm-hmm. you know did they go there intentionally because they knew that's where they could grow or were they sent there you know to to be isolated there's there's really no clear answer of, of yeah. the, the original intent of the ship yeah, that's what yeah, i want to know yeah exactly <laughs> we have no idea this um, <laughs> this verse is interesting too because we found at the very end of the verse that you know teox is still alive mm-hmm. that they killed the ammonites uh, but they did not. They did not get Teox. She's still out there. Uh, so the original betrayer. You know that this may be a great victory for them, but ultimately this vengeance goes unfulfilled because mm-hmm. she is still. She's still flying around. So then we get to the hive. Yeah, and then we get. This is verse three. This is officially they have become the hive now. They they've embraced the sword logic this paracausal nature they've they've used their will to exert their existence upon all of reality uh they're yeah they're now the hive we have becoming ourselves yeah this opening line so and this is where this this hierarchy starts to form of of wizards and thralls and acolytes and the the structure is not in place yet. That comes a little bit later, but this is this is the hive that we encounter, or this is the the very very beginning of the hive that we encounter. Right, and I I love the last paragraph, just because they describe themselves basically. This is us, and our purpose is liberation. Our great task is the worship and admiration of freedom. Our great hunger is to pursue and eat that which is not free and to liberate it with devouring. Ayat, this is us, we the hive. So, and that's that's the driving force behind the hive. And it's, this is really, I've had people say to me before or ask me questions about the hive, and they, you know, they say, oh, well, aren't the hive undead? Like, aren't the hive just like zombies? I was like, they're really not. Like, no. this is an entire race of beings that were, changed and altered and subsumed and became something new and different through the symbiotic relationship with these worms uh and they are very much like a intelligent conquering philosophy bound breathing culture they're not just like an army of zombies so i think it's important to sort of give the hive that kind of respect Mm -hmm. from their origins you know for for what they actually are Mm -hmm. So I think it's we should probably at this point this this podcast has gone pretty long we should probably call it here this this starts a real new chapter with the hive so that's we shouldn't get too deep into it at this point. <laughs> All right, so man, there's still so much more to the Book of Sorrows that we haven't covered yet, but uh, but it seems like we're at a good good stopping point. Um, let's uh, let's go ahead and, and end this one. Um, we are going to pick up on the Book of Sorrows again in the near future. Um, probably not next week. We've had, again, so many requests for different things, and we want to try to give, give everyone what they, what they want um, as best we can. So let's, uh, let's 
Let's go ahead and um, close this one off, and we will be back with the Book of Sorrows soon, uh, but not soon enough, I don't think. Um, <laughs> all right, so thanks everybody for, for tuning in and listening, and again, we've gotten a lot of great feedback. We, we love it. We want more. Um, again, we are on Podbean and iTunes and anywhere you can leave us feedback and comments, especially on iTunes. Again, all that feedback helps us to, to kind of, of be seen and heard by, by more people, and that's what we want. We want to get people uh, listening to our podcast and, and finding out this information that, that uh, they, they may or may not know. Um, we also are on Twitter at Stories. And we have an email set up for you to contact us. We are destinyghoststories at gmail.com. Uh, again, I like to point out um, that, uh, that Scooby Deezy and Dropslash have the destinytimeline.com out there that you can go check out for some more information uh, about just the overall setting and, and world of Destiny. Um, and something else that, that I want to mention real quick, um, one of the guys in our... Uh, not all of our clans, but uh, but a few of our, our our guys on the podcast are in in the uh, Dads of Destiny Uprising clan. Uh, one of the guys made us, I guess, our first piece of fan art, and it was pretty awesome. And if you haven't seen it, um, you can find it on our Twitter or on uh, Dod Uprising's Twitter site. Um, it's 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 so cool. It's it's these two hands uh, kind of stretched out below this ghost holding a red and a blue pill, and, and basically it, it kind of says, uh, will you follow us down the rabbit hole? Um, and uh, and so we try not to get down there too far. I think we did a few times in this episode, uh, but uh, but we try, to, we try to bring things back on track. And again, thanks so much for listening. Had a great, great time and great episode. Uh, I feel like we're, we're doing better every week. So um, until next time, thank you so much, and we will see you later. Thanks very much. Thanks, guys. See you.